The first lesson today is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting at verse 4, going through verse 24. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was a giant of a man, measuring over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, a 200-pound coat of mail, bronze leggings, and carried a bronze javelin several inches thick, tipped with 25-pound iron spearhead, and his armor-bearer walked ahead of him with a huge shield. He stood and shouted across to the Israelis, Do you need a whole army to settle this? I will represent the Philistines, and you choose someone to represent you, and we will settle this in a single combat. If your man is able to kill me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, then you must be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel. Send me a man who will fight with me. When Saul and the Israeli army heard this, they were dismayed and frightened. David, the son of aging Jesse, a member of the tribe of Ephraim, who lived in Bethlehem, Judah, had seven older brothers. The three oldest, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah, had already volunteered for Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son and was on Saul's staff on a part-time basis. He went back and forth to Bethlehem to help his father with the sheep. For 40 days, twice a day, morning and evening, the Philistine giants strutted before the armies of Israel. One day Jesse said to David, Take this bushel of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread to your brothers. Give this cheese to their captain and see how the boys are getting along, and bring us back a letter from them. Saul and the Israeli army were camped in the valley of Elah. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and took off early the next morning with the gifts. He arrived at the outskirts of camp just as the Israeli army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israeli and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his luggage with a baggage officer and hurried out to the ranks to find his brothers. As he was talking with them, he saw Goliath, the, gi he saw Goliath, the giant step out of the Philistine troops and shout his challenge to the army of Israel. As soon as they saw him, the Israeli army began to run away in fright. We were led in our first lesson by David Wilson. You know, we have been studying some of the great men of the Bible and especially the trials through which they passed. I'm going to conduct a little experiment this morning. If uh, you have a friend, I mean someone that you talk with frequently, or a relative, I'll even start off the front of that. If your name is David, stand up. How many Davids are here? We have a David? We got, look, here are two Davids, and we got more than this. Now, if you know someone or have a relative named David, stand up. <laughs> See, all of you got to stand here. Now, that's how you can tell how popular a name is. And you know, the people who study demography, who study population shifts, tell us that many heroes are named after the names of certain people. Uh, the people name their children after those whom they love. 
And this shows you the popularity of David. There are 62 chapters in the Bible that deal with the life of David. There are only 11 chapters that deal with Jacob, about whom we studied last week, only 14 about Abraham. But about David, you have 62. Now, in my judgment, the greatest figure in the Old Testament has got to be Moses because of the enormous impact that he made on the world, and as long as the world stands, it will be there. But the man with whom so many can identify is this person, David. Now, uh, this is why I wanted David Wilson to read this morning and why we're going to study about David and some of the trials that he faced as a youth. Then later we're going to study about some trials he faced in middle age and some trials he faced in old age. You know, you got sins that are peculiar to youth and sins that are particular and especial to middle age, and you got sins of old age, believe it or not. You, you have sins for every age of life and trials that come and are, you're tested by it, and we'll look at some of them as time goes on. Our second lesson continues the dramatic encounter of David with Goliath. I'm reading from verse uh, 24. Let me go back to verse 20. So David left, left the sheep with another shepherd, and he took off early the next morning with the gifts. He arrived at the outskirts of the camp just as the Israeli army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israeli and the Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his luggage with a baggage officer and hurried out to the ranks to find his brothers. As he was talking with them, he saw Goliath, the giant, step out from the Philistine troops and shout his challenge to the army of Israel. As soon as they saw him, the Israeli army began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the soldiers were asking. He has insulted the entire army of Israel. And have you heard about the huge reward the king has offered to anyone who kills him? And the king will give him one of his daughters for a wife, and his whole family will be exempted from paying taxes. That would do it today. Uh, David talked to some others standing there to verify the report. What will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending these insults to Israel, he asked them. Who is this heathen Philistine anyway that he has been allowed to defy the armies of the living God? But when David's older brother Eliab Heard David talking like that, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? What about the sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know what a cocky brat you are. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. When it was finally realized what David meant, someone told King Saul and the king sent for him. Don't worry about a thing, David told him. I'll take care of this Philistine. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. How can a kid like you fight with a man like him? You're only a boy, and he's been in the army since he was a boy. But David persisted. When I'm taking care of my father's sheep, he said, and a lion or a bear comes and grabs a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and take the lamb from its mouth. If it turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. The Lord who saved me from the claws and teeth of the lion and the bear will save me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor. 
a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he'd never worn such things before. I can hardly move, he exclaimed. Then he took them off again. He picked up five stones from a stream, put them in his shepherd's bag, and armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across to Goliath. Goliath walked towards David and with his shield-bearer ahead of him sneered in contempt at this nice little red-cheeked boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you have come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David shouted in reply, You have come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the armies of heaven and of Israel, the very God whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and Israel will learn that the Lord does not depend on weapons to fulfill his plans. He works without regard to human means. He will give you to us. As Goliath approached, David ran out to meet him and reaching into his shepherd's bag, took out a stone, hurled it from his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sunk in and the man fell on his face to the ground. So David conquered the Philistine giant with a sling and a stone. This is a modern speech translation. Uh, let me tell you about this. This is living Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, Kenneth Taylor, in trying to read the Bible in family devotions, noticed that his children had a difficult time with the these and thous. And so he made this paraphrase in order to help them to enjoy the Bible. Uh, Dr. Billy Graham told me yesterday that when he offered this paperback edition uh, to those who wrote in to, the hour, to one of the telecasts of one of his crusades, over a million eight hundred thousand people wrote in. Now this shows something of the gripping effect of the Bible when it is understood. And if you do not have one of these paraphrase editions, maybe you ought to write Billy Graham a letter and uh, try to get one. It's, a, it's an excellent way to especially get your children to read the Bible and when they listen, usually the adults listen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give our thanks unto thee for all of thy good gifts unto us. We seek your blessings upon us now as we study your word and pray that the lesson which we learn may be applied in our life in a way that will bring honor to you. For Jesus' sake, amen. I suppose that outside of the dramatic encounter at Mount Carmel, this event in which David and Goliath are engaged in a mortal conflict must rank as one of the most dramatic episodes in all of Scripture. Let me say in the beginning, it is not a fairy tale, it is history. It is an event that took place. There have been people who have been nine feet tall before, and uh, this man Goliath is one of them. He was not only nine feet tall, but he had an enormous amount of armor. And he came out day by day and challenged the 
the Israeli army to put forward a champion, and uh, the rule of the game was that if Goliath uh, reigned, if he defeated the Israeli contender, then the Israelis would be the slaves of the Philistines, and if the Philistine was defeated, then they would be the slaves of the Israelis. Of course, the devil's crowd never keep their promises, and they didn't in this case either. Uh, but when you begin to read about it, it is very interesting because God has been preparing all the way, and the reason that I've been studying these Old Testament characters with you is that God is working his purpose out, and he's still working his purpose out in history. And God had selected Abraham. God worked through that deceitful person named Jacob until finally in that moment of agony, in that wrestling with God, Jacob is changed and his whole name is changed and the whole course of human history is changed. And out of his sons there come those 12 tribes of Israel. And then out of God's dealings with Jacob who remained pure in the face of the grossest temptations that one could fling at him. And then out of Egypt, God brings this remarkable person, Moses, and how God taught us a lesson that unto whom much is given of him shall much be required. And this man, Moses, who was rash and angry over one thing that seems a trifle to us, but was an act of disobedience in the face of God, and for it God does not permit him to enter the promised land. God judges with a severity greater than we would judge and with a generosity greater than we would judge. And he demands of us above all obedience, obedience to him. Jacob's sin was that he tried to do God's work for him. God will not permit it. Moses, in a rash, impatient moment, uh, sinned against a commandment of God and for it he did not go to the promised land. And now today we come to this figure, David. David's task will be to organize a kingdom. Saul had been selected as the first king, but Saul failed his task miserably. He failed too through disobedience. And so finally there comes a time when, this, when Samuel, the prophet of God, is told by God to mourn no longer over Saul who has been disobedient, but that God has selected a man after his own heart, that he is a son of Jesse in the little hamlet of Bethlehem, and that Samuel is to go there and anoint a son of Jesse to be the future king over his people. And so Samuel goes to Bethlehem, and he asks Jesse uh, to send for his sons. And you know, when Samuel went there, he drove before him a heifer, a cow that would be offered as a sacrifice. And when a prophet of God appeared in one of these little country towns, it created quite a stir. And the people in that village that day, as they saw that old white-haired prophet driving that heifer in front of him with his servants, they wondered, what's going to happen to our little town? Have we done something? And is God going to wipe us out? Or what is he doing here? What strange thing is taking place that Samuel, the man of God, should be here? And Samuel said to Jesse that he wanted to see his sons. And Jesse brought seven of his sons who paraded before uh, this prophet Samuel. And Samuel looked at them all, but God did not whisper a word to him concerning any of these handsome, stalwart young men 
who came before him. There was no answer from God, no word from God that any of them should be selected as the future king. So Samuel inquires of Jesse and says to him, Are these all of your sons? And Jesse says, No, there is one, but he's only a young boy. He's out tending the sheep. And Samuel said, Go and fetch him and bring him here. Now they had a great sacrifice, and this would mean a big feast, a big banquet. But Samuel would not touch a bite of food, nor would he permit the banquet to take place until this one little shepherd boy, a little teenage boy, was brought in from the fields, ruddy in complexion, with blue eyes probably and and, uh, blonde hair. He stands in the presence of Samuel. And Samuel looks at this little youth, and the voice of God whispers to him, This is the man. This is the boy. Anoint him. Did you ever stop to think of what can happen in the course of one day? Maybe one of these boys or girls here will be anointed of God for some special task. Samuel took a flask of oil, and oil is the symbol of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And he anointed this little boy, David, for an enormous task, the task of molding together a kingdom. David, the shepherd boy, is anointed. Now, the full revelation of this has not yet come because the time for this to be revealed is not yet to be known. And David goes back to his humble, ordinary chore of tending to the sheep. David is so much loved because David was good at so many things that he did. If he was a shepherd, he was a good shepherd. So much so that he could write a hymn, The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures green. He feedeth me the quiet waters by. He knew, he knew what it was to be an excellent shepherd. And he knew that God could care for him in just that way. The God whom his father, Jesse, had told him about. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Moses. The God of the judges. That this God was still working his purposes out in history. And David trusted in him, even as a young boy. And if David practiced with his slingshot, David was determined that he would give his all to that and he would not only throw rocks, but he would throw them better than any other shepherd boy could throw them. And he must have spent day after day and hour after hour hurling that sling about his head and casting it at a hole in a tree or a rock on the ground or a bird. He was throwing it. He learned to be very, very expert with this sling. He gave himself to whatever he did. And if I could say one word to our young friends who are here, if you learn to put your heart in what you go at, it makes all the difference in the world. I've often told this congregation that one of the most significant things to me that I've learned was once in the White House looking at a long list of telephone calls that came in the switchboard. And there would be an NCP by name after name after name, NCP, NCP. And I said to one of the secretaries, what does that mean? And she said these calls were not allowed to go through because the caller had no clear purpose. 
in calling. No clear purpose. And I've thought how many people go through life like that with no clear purpose. They give themselves to nothing. There's no clear purpose in what they do, but David gave himself to being an excellent shepherd and an excellent marksman, later an excellent soldier, later an excellent king. And that's why we can see in this man so much that is to be admired, even though his sin was great. And God judged him with a tremendous severity. Yet there is much in him that we can identify with quickly and we can learn to love him. Well, he is singled out by Samuel and he goes back to his chore. Because he is a person of excellent grace when they have an arts uh, meeting of those who can play skillfully on what we call a harp or a, or a lyre, he is brought before the uh, king to play. And then one day this interesting event takes place with Goliath. He goes out there to meet Goliath, this enormous giant. He was so big that I saw a football player the other day and we were describing big football players and he said of one man, he's so big he ought to wear license plates. <laughs> well, this was the way Goliath was. He was so huge. And David watched in disbelief as he saw his older brothers and the king himself and all of the heroic people in the army of Israel trembled at the voice of this giant who came out 40 straight days and bellowed out his challenge for Israel to send forward a contender to fight with him. Now I admire this way of fighting wars and I think it would be great if wars could be fought by sending out the presidents and the uh, prime ministers of other countries and let them kill each other instead of killing so many innocent people. They had a good idea, but it didn't last long. Uh, anyway, David listens to these insults being hurled at the people of God, and he has moved his own idealistic soul. And you know there's something beautiful about the idealism of a young boy. They haven't yet learned to compromise their integrity, to give away their souls. I remember a lawyer telling me once that if you wanted to find a lawyer who had some principles, you had to get one of the younger ones who hadn't yet learned what it was to lie and to steal and to cheat in some of the ways that others had done. There is a youthful idealism that is beautiful to behold, and David is right in the grip of this, and it's a firm faith in God that has made him so, and when he listens to these insults being hurled, at the God of Israel, he can scarcely believe his ears. And so he says to the soldiers, why doesn't someone do something about this? Why should this heathen Philistine get by with cursing our God? And then his older brother. I'm glad this is in here. I was the, the last of seven children and the fifth of five sons. And uh, these older brothers have a way of talking just this way, and this translator has it perfectly. What are you doing around here anyway? That's what Eliab said to David. What about the sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know what a cocky brat you are. You just wanted to see the battle. You ever hear any conversations like that around your house? <laughs> well, 
uh, David replies, what have I done now? <laughs> and uh, then someone takes the Someone takes the word which David has given that he would fight this king to Saul's ears and Saul sends for him and looks at him. Saul, who ought to have been willing to fight Goliath himself because Saul was as tall as Wilt Chamberlain, and yet Saul wouldn't go. He was afraid. David says, don't worry about this Philistine, I'll fight him. And Saul says, don't be ridiculous. He is a seasoned soldier. He's been fighting since he was a boy. You wouldn't have a chance. David begins to say how God had delivered him from a lion and from a bear and how God could deliver him from this Philistine as well. And Saul finally says, okay, but the Lord be with you. <laughs> he thought that was the last time he'd see David. Now here an interesting thing takes place. Saul says to David, you may wear my armor. It would be quite an honor to wear the armor of the king. David put it on. It was too big for him. He tried to take a step or two, and he said, I can't wear this stuff. And he took it off and put it down. I suppose that some of the rest of us would have tried to gone out there and, and worn it. Someone could preach a great sermon on just being yourself. Loving God and being yourself with what you have. Jim Neighbors made a great flop when he tried to be someone else and someone heard him talking in his country accent one day and picked him up. And now he cries all the way to the bank about, <laughs> about his country accent. He made it when he was trying to be himself. And uh, David here puts away Saul's armor because he cannot fight in it. He goes out in his own simple garb of a shepherd and he looks up at Goliath and Goliath looks at him in utter defiance. Goliath says, am I a dog that you've come out here with a stick? And David says, you've come at me with a sword and with a spear, but I have come to you in the name of the Lord. And then he hurled that sling and one of those five stones, five smooth stones. I was reading a rather militant Plymouth Brethren commentary yesterday. He said David took five stones because Goliath had four brothers <laughs> and he was saving the other four for them. <laughs> when he let fly with that one smooth stone, it sank into the forehead of this man who had lifted up his armor to shout insults at David and at the uh, army of God. And so Goliath fell to the ground and David finished him off and David won the day as a great hero. Now when that day was over, Saul wanted to know who David was. He had forgotten this little shepherd boy. Who is this? And they said, this is the son of Jesse. His name is Jesse. And he lives in, his name is David, the son of Jesse, who lives in Bethlehem. Now people want to know who you are. They want to know about your family. Especially when something like this has taken place. You know, I have time to bring out a couple of points about this. That is that this one smooth stone 
Someone has said that a smooth stone is made smooth by the water running over it in the stream. And that that smooth stone which fell that giant could be likened unto a knowledge of the Holy Scriptures. Do you remember when Jesus went against the adversary in the time of temptation? When he did battle with Satan, he did battle with the authority of Scripture. And my, how we need a knowledge of the Bible. The Bible has for us rules by which to live. I'm so thankful that Key 73 is bringing out these Scripture portions today. Because think about what a knowledge of the life of Jesus can bring into the mind and heart of a person who has not known about him before nor studied his claims seriously. Think about what a knowledge of the early church that's recorded in the book of Acts could do to a church if all of the people read it and studied it and really put into a practice its faith that is there. That one smooth stone, that one smooth stone can be likened unto Scripture for the Christian. And the Goliaths that we face of despair and temptation that come to us constantly can be felled by a knowledge and an implicit trust in the knowledge imparted by the Scriptures. One of the most remarkable things that I've ever read came out of a Reader's Digest in September 1970. The story of a 65-year-old soil conservation consultant who went to Uruguay to assist that government in helping its people through improved agricultural techniques. He was a man who loved God, and yet he became a victim as many American diplomats have of a terrorist group. One day when he was working in his soil conservation laboratory, there burst into that laboratory a group of terrorists. They captured this man and they took him away. They put him in a burlap sack, bound him up, and put him in the back of a truck and drove him off into the jungles. And there there is recorded a period of seven months of terror in which he was cast into a cage. He was a man over 65. He had been sick with viral pneumonia. He knew the ache and the pain of rheumatism. He hurt with arthritis. And yet in all of his suffering, he tried to exemplify what he felt Jesus would want him to do. He pled with his captors to give him a Bible. One day, one of them came in with a little paperback copy of the New Testament and handed it to Claude Fly. Claude took it, and he began to read it and to soak it up to his soul. If God is for us, who can be against us, he read from Romans 8. Then he began to study the life of Jesus. He read that there were some... Ninety things that those who followed Jesus were specifically commanded to do. That there were 70 things that they were to avoid completely. He listed all of these and he began to practice them on his captors.
gradually his faith in Jesus Christ began to touch their hearts. And finally, when Claude Fly was released, his captors came to him and kissed his hands. Some of them knelt by him as he walked by because they had seen in him a quality of life that they had never seen before. They had seen in him the transforming power of the word of God when it is believed and when it is put into practice before those who are about us. Those prisoners who have come back from Vietnam, we've been told how they compiled from memory as best they could verses from the Bible. They recited them to each other. They prayed for each other. And as their story begins to unfold, and so much will come later, accounts of great heroism will be told of these men who are disciplined and those who have learned by the word of God. Get the Reader's Digest for September 1970 and read this story. Here is a giant that is fell, a giant of despair, a giant of frustration and temptation that goes beneath the smooth stone of the word of God. David gave what he had to the Lord. There was only a swing and a smooth stone and a tremendous faith in God. And God honored it and made of him a champion that day and an example to his people. We have so much more than David had. Only if we had a deeper faith in God and use what God has given us to bring honor to him. Let us stand in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee that you have revealed to us from the pages of sacred scripture men and women and boys and girls who are flesh and bone such as we are, who are in all points tempted as we are tempted, and yet many who have waxed valiant through faith and have accomplished remarkable things because they cast themselves totally and completely upon thee. Help us, therefore, to make better use of the means of grace which you have given to us so that in this time when we have so many Bibles and so many means of communication, and yet so many subtle temptations of this world, we may rise above them and accomplish great and good things for Jesus Christ. Help us to be willing to enter into conflict with the devil in the power of the word of God and under the inspiration of thy spirit and to see the victory which he brings to us, the Lord Jesus, through faith and trust in him. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore. Amen.